Welcome back to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast, and welcome. If it is your first time listening, I'm excited you're here, and if you're back, wow, this is like a double date, maybe a tri- the third date, I don't even know, but I gotta keep showing up better and better, because man, how else are we gonna make this last, right? So this week, wow, I got an amazing guest. And that is my good friend, Shalina Ayana, who has the Instagram account, Rising Women. This woman is a boss, so I can't wait to get into that. Before we get into that, I was going to say, before we hump into that, that is not how you actually segue to anything, except for maybe Netflix. But hey, we're not doing that. We're talking about love and relationships, which is related to Netflix and chilling. So... Here's the deal. Wherever you're listening to this, it's such a huge um, thing for me. It's such a great thing. If you can do it is if you go and give this a five-star rating wherever you listen to it and a written review if that is possible. It's super helpful to raise the ranking of this podcast to get into more people's ears and hearts to blow them wide open so that we can have these conversations. These conversations then aren't always happening, but they're happening right now in our ears. So without further ado, let's have that conversation. And thank you so much for showing up and being such an amazing supporter. Here is Shalena Ayana and myself, Jammin. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I know, right? I just feel so (laughs) pumped up saying that could you see the joy you, my... you needed like a cowboy hat for that <laughs> i do i'm from alberta which is the texas of canada it's true so those um mysterious giggles in the background are now in the foreground <laughs> and this is shalina hey, ayana man. did i pronounce that right yeah good because i got in trouble we've been friends for years and <laughs> like I, 10 years yeah 10 years a decade we can say decades now yes. decade look at that um for those of you that don't know this lovely human being well, you're going to hear a lot about her life. And she runs the ever so popular and motivating and inspiring and feminine goddess yoni pouring. Is that right? Yoni pouring? I don't know. I'm trying to use words that might go. Yikes. Uh, clearly, I'm out of my wheelhouse here um, called Rising Woman. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank You're you. writing. You and Thank Heather um, are crushing it on there. Thank you. And so... I wanted to bring her on here today to enlighten us. Mm, enlighten you. Right. That's a lot of guru. <laughs> yeah. Guru. Setting the expectations <laughs> yeah. quite high. So tell all these lovely humans listening, how did you get into the work mm. that you're in and how do you even describe it? Okay. Do you want the short version or the long version? I don't know. Let's start with the idea of a shorter slash okay. long. I don't have an answer. Just okay. let's start. Let's just start. <laughs> okay. How did I get into this work? Uh, there's so many things that I could say about that because I feel like my whole life path has been a culmination of events that has brought me into the work. Um, A lot of early childhood trauma, a lot of uh, abandonment early, early in life. Um, And when I was in my mid-20s, I went through a divorce. And that sort of catalyzed a deep awakening for me in terms of seeing all of the wounds that I had not dealt with all Mm -hmm. the things that I hadn't actually addressed. And people would often say, wow, you know, you have so much history. A lot of people with your history are either addicted to drugs or they're on the streets. Um, This is so amazing. How did you, how did you do that? Like, how did you just not go down that path? And Mm -hmm. I would always say, oh, you know, I just kind of dealt with it. Like it just didn't, didn't impact me. And, (laughs) and it's funny because, you know, in a way that's true. Like I did choose a different route. Mm -hmm. But what happened was that I had really just kind of created denial as a coping mechanism. And I had distanced myself so much from my wounds that I had never actually truly processed that pain. And so that divorce really was an opening for me to feel what had let 
to be felt. And it was a big gift um, as much as there was really deep betrayal and hurt involved in that mm-hmm. separation. I wouldn't trade it for anything because I had this opportunity to see what the pain was really about, which was not about that person or the breakup at all. It was really about me getting in contact with my abandonment wound and my mother wound. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really catalyzed some deep work for me, which revolved around doing shadow work and inner child work, um, Tantra, uh, which are all essentially ways of getting in contact with my true essence, meaning I'm looking at those darker elements of myself, um, the things that scare me most about myself, the things that I avoid or try to mask. And rather than looking at it as a personal growth and transformation system where we want to extract or change ourselves, we are accepting. So we're Mm. simply giving space to and then accepting Um, And through that process, there's an integration that happens where we just become more in balance. So as opposed to changing it, Mm -hmm. as would be, I guess, sort of like normal language around, Mm -hmm. oh, you have that behavior, change it. It's accepting the behavior and then using that space of acceptance as the and compassion Mm -hmm. as the platform to then have a new choice. Well, and even going beyond the behavior, it's it's more even just looking at those aspects of ourselves, because all behavior tends to be um, sort of a response it's mm-hmm. in some way to our belief systems or our fears or our anxieties. And so the more accepting we are of ourselves, the less reactivity we have. So for me, it was really about looking at those parts of myself that I was repulsed by even, you know, that's strong language, but a lot of us have carry some mm-hmm. form of self-loathing or um, self-judgment. Um, and so when we project that out into the world, it, our partners and our relationships are really intense because of it. So it was this process of just looking at those things about myself and then giving them space to be okay. And then through that, the behavior naturally shifts because the walls come down and the masks come off because I was like, oh, okay, this is me. This is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we become more self-aware. We can slowly allow ourselves to be seen more and more. Uh, and so that was the process. And that's the work that we do now. That's what Rising Woman is sort of based on is deep self-acceptance work. Yeah. And in such a, um, also speaking to such a collective experience of women as a collective, mm-hmm. really rising, such a great name, good branding, Thank unbelievable. You. And the inner work that is also part of that larger collective transformation, you know, and I think when, you know, when you were first speaking about people saying to you, oh, well, based on what you've been through, how did you not end up in these alternative places? Mm-hmm. Um, just to give some people some context to that, what is some of the stuff that that happened when you were young? Mm-hmm. If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to share my story. And uh, one of the beautiful things about sharing my story is that I feel like so many people can relate. And you know, I used to think that my story was unique, and I think that that's one of the ideas that we all carry is my wounding and my story is really unique and I've suffered more than others. So nobody Mm. could understand me. And uh, the deeper that we go and the more that we connect with people, the more we see that um, we all carry pain and, and trauma and things like that. And it's actually what connects us. doesn't make us um, unreachable. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I was really young, I was born to a mother who was 22 with mental illness. And uh, she was really, really traumatized and abused uh, when she was young. So emotionally, maybe uh, 10, 12 years old at times, um, and just very, very much living in a fearful state. So when I was born, her placenta ruptured, and so we were separated at birth for three days, I think. Um, And then she was also an alcoholic. So you know, I can remember being two and a half years old and she would come home drunk and uh, break walls and, uh, you know, smash things. And she would fall asleep on the bathroom floor and I would cover her up with a blanket or I'd brush her teeth or I'd get out a cookie sheet and I'd put the toothpaste in the uh, toothbrush and carry it in. And um, I was very much playing this like caretaker role as a very young young. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, being home alone a lot. And and, uh, and then when I was three, one night, my mom took me on a drive and we got to this house and she dropped me off in the arms of this stranger family that I had never met before. And I can just remember screaming and crying, just like hysterical. And she left. And so I had been dropped off at a foster home and she was going wow. to quit drinking. But, you know, obviously I didn't know that. And there was no, no discussion, no preparation. It was very much abrupt, like, boom, yeah, here no you are. context, just abandoned. Abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. And throughout my life, uh, on and off, my mom would spend, you know, six months in the hospital for her mental health or, you know, I would get dropped off at, you know, her, her secretary's 
office and she'd say, you know, you're going to stay here for the night. And then I, I wouldn't see her for three months in and out of foster homes, um, running away from foster homes. Uh, I ended up being quite a rebel living <laughs> sometimes kind of like running like a street kid. You know, I did a lot of drugs. I, every drug you can imagine, um, I slept in garages. I had a police officer assigned to me who sent me birthday cards. Um, so I was like the epitome of uncontrolled, angry, rebellious child and very, you know, guarded, had a lot of walls around my heart and kind of just carried that into my adult life. When I was 19, I quit drinking because I had I had seen and done it all. Um, so I was 16, living on my own, working two jobs, homeschooling myself. So I guess you could say I have had a lot of lives already. Yeah. So I feel like I've I've been through a lot. Um, there was sexual abuse and trauma that occurred in my early childhood as well. Just you know, being in foster homes and things like that. So there's a lot of ways that I can relate to painful experiences that have sort of given me. Um, the understanding that I have now and how we can use those experiences as ways to know ourselves deeper and to be of service, which is what I think it's all about ultimately. Yeah. When you were talking about your divorce too, I mean, what's so beautiful is the immediate framing of it as being, although it being painful, Mm -hmm. it also being this, this experience that completely catalyzed you Further, because I knew you before your divorce. Yeah. I mean, you were already, it was like sitting with some uh, Peruvian sage, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, you know. and for far. those, I mean, this is on a, 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 obviously on an audio for you listening. Um, but if you ever meet Shalina, Shalina, you will see that she is like, you could put her in your pocket, you know, she's like a little <laughs> fairy. Yeah, let's let everybody know that because everybody meets me and they're like, I thought you were taller. And I'm like, why does everybody say that? <laughs> yeah, like she's just this little mini firecracker. And so I, you know, to know where your passion comes from, that it is redirected um, rebe- rebellion. And in some yeah. way, a lot of what you do is um, uh, rebellious towards the sort of systems or messages that, you know, more specifically women have been sent for eons. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what measure of time an actual eon is, but I think it's, <laughs> no it's a lot. That's yeah. what we know because they use it in Star Trek. So right. that's pretty much the law then. Yeah. Then it's, it's obviously the rule. Um, so that collective work, have you faced a lot of challenges from anybody in your work? Uh, give me an example of what you might be like when you, cause I, you know, I read your guys' stuff all the time and it's mm-hmm. powerful. It's like going into the deep complex of psychology. And for those who uh, may not know shadow work, do you want to define that a little more? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So shadow work, it's a uh, Carl Jung. He's a famous dude, probably know who he is. If you don't, you can Google him. He kind of coined this mm-hmm. term shadow work, which is ultimately it's looking at the ego and looking at our dark side. Mm-hmm. And um, very similar to what I said before around self-acceptance, we're looking at our dark parts and then we're integrating them. So we look at ourselves as um, this whole and complete person, but we have our higher self and then we have our shadow self, which we can also call the ego. And the ego's job is to protect us, to keep us safe and for us to survive. And that isn't something that we want to obliterate. We want to survive and we still want to have boundaries and defense mechanisms. Uh, But what happens is if we're hurt or we're traumatized or we're scared, uh, then our ego becomes overprotective and overreactive. And we can kind of have this uh, wall that doesn't allow others to penetrate, but it also doesn't allow us to see ourselves mm-hmm. because uh, as long as we stay safe, we're as long as we stay protected, um, we need to maintain this idea that also we're right. And, uh, and that's just one of the things that we have to look at is how are we deceiving ourselves? Um, how are we wearing a mask? You know, what are those darker elements of our own nature that we might be projecting onto people in our partnerships? Um, And so we're looking at those qualities, for example, looking at my anger. So if I'm really triggered, let's say um, by my partner, because Mm -hmm. when he gets frustrated, let's say he gets really angry, um, then I would want to look at what is it about anger that triggers me? Do I give myself permission to feel anger? Do I give myself permission to express it? Or um, am, am I explosive with my anger? Do I do I feel ashamed about how I express my anger? Therefore, when I see anyone expressing anger, I'm triggered. Um, that's an example of shadow work. Uh, so really taking it home. Yeah. What sense? are some of the common ways that you see that show up in partnership? 
uh, in my partnership with Ben. Not with Ben, by the way, for <laughs> you listening, has been on the podcast. Yes, uh, he yeah, so he, you can go listen to his side of things <laughs> <laughs> um, with Ben, but even just in the normal, um, like in the everyday work that you do with women. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, some of the common things that I think come up in partnership is the most obvious one is just being not being responsible for anything that's going on in the relationship. So we often come across people who uh, feel like there's something wrong with their partner. They keep choosing the wrong people, which, you know, in some ways is true. Can be, yeah. um, and yet the pattern just continues to repeat. Huh. And uh, the Weird. same, yeah, the same things keep going on. Um, there's the same level of dissatisfaction, conflict, all of these things that keep happening in the relationship. And um, it, it seems to always be somebody else's fault. And what's missing from that equation is we're not actually looking at our own contribution to the issue. We're not looking at our own conflict style and we're not looking at our own inner reactivity or our fears or our ego's mechanisms. So we often will create these defense mechanisms to, and they're like blinders. Yeah. So we see the problem is outside of ourselves. And as long as the problem is outside of ourselves, it really can't change, right? Because we're helpless. It's not us. It's everything around us. It's the world. It's people. It's, uh, it's men. It's, you know, I've never whatever. heard that. That's unbelievable. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, uh, this isn't to say that sometimes somebody else really is part of the yeah, problem. Totally. It's not to say that sometimes people do suck. It's not to say any of that, but ultimately it's an inside job. And the more we get to know ourselves and the more we feel secure in who we are, the less we are out in the world faking it and attracting people who are drawn to our masks. Yeah, which I think is one of the greatest sort of fraudulent schemes of all is that we create this projected <laughs> version of self. We, no one is we don't fall in love with each other. Often we fall in love with the person that we're presenting mm -hmm. and they're in love with us. And then when we finally expose the shadow side, this side that we have shame because we get triggered because welcome to love, mm -hmm. you know, and then it comes out, which is really an opportunity for healing. But instead, as you said, we just keep repeating the pattern. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we finally wake up to the fact that we're the common denominator and all the outcomes we get in our life, then all of a sudden that's both a really nice little cosmic tap on the forehead and, or a block to the head. And sometimes it hurts a lot more. <laughs> um, I've certainly didn't really pay attention until it hurts enough that you pay attention. Like maybe this is me. Hmm. Actually, I think it was a woman who told me it was me that made me finally realize it was me. But you know, that's the greatest gift of relationship is this opportunity to actually see what you don't see in yourself. Totally. And that's, that's what I love about my partnership with Ben is we're we're so similar in so many ways. We're both we're both alpha types. We're both uh, really fiery people, really playful, but, you know, also very stubborn. And when you have two alpha types in a relationship who like to do things their way, uh, <laughs> who don't want to be told what to do or, or led in any which way, um, you get some ridiculous conversations, <laughs> and arguments over stuff. And so we get to see our own blind spots in each other so often and work with those and learn how to be more patient with each other and be more compassionate and be more curious about each other's experience. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's a real gift when you are in a partnership where both people are willing to see themselves in the other person and, you know, really hands down, that's what creates good relationships across the board is, can I see myself in someone else? Mm -hmm. Am I going to demonize that thing that they're doing or that way that they're being? Or can I see a, a small part of myself in that? And when we do that, what we do is we're saying, okay, like I can be compassionate and I can be curious about this person, but I can also acknowledge that there's no such thing as perfection. I'm not perfect either. And who am I to demonize another person for, you know, embodying some of their shadow? I have that too. And it just sort of creates this level playing field where we can become two people in our hearts together rather than two people who are on opposite, opposite sides, sort of pointing the finger. So how does one, let's say that someone's I mean, I don't even want to get too much into the repeated patterns of people dating narcissists because that's such a common conversation now, mm -hmm. um, which feels like a lot of the common denominator stuff of like, it's not my fault. It's always other people. Right. And, and self-acceptance too. Like I, I was in a really abusive relationship when I was 19. Um, like I'm lucky to be alive. That's how yeah. abusive it was. And I do acknowledge that there was a part of me that was so self-loathing that I, I allowed myself to be around an unsafe person because I, I didn't really know what it 
felt like to be safe. I hadn't yeah. had that experience. So it's not that it was my fault that he behaved that way. And it's not that I somehow created it. Like I manifested yeah. it maybe with all this, you know, new age language. Um, but there was a part of me that didn't love myself and didn't think that I was good enough. And so uh, that vibration and that type of behavior seemed okay in some way. Like it sort of met, it met your worth. It met my Like it worth. matched what you believed you were capable of or you could meet. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and it was familiar. And I yeah. think that that's what happens when we have a lot of trauma is for me, chaos and, and, and conflict were familiar. Yeah. So they became chemistry in some sense. Yeah. And so I was, I was drawn to somebody who was very dangerous. And so it was me doing this inner work around self-acceptance and self-worth and really understanding myself better so that I could be more aware of who I'm drawing in and learn how to say no. When I was a teenager, I couldn't say no at all. Well, there was the, the two poles that you held there were really beautiful. One the recognition of um, your own state that allowed you to stay or be in that situation, Mm -hmm. but then also the compassion for how actually scary and negative that situation was Mm -hmm. like when you can actually do that, because it's almost like you're hovering above 19 year old version of you Mm -hmm. and observing the state without judgment, you know, and I'm sure that younger version of you is like, Oh gosh, thank God you're not cutting me off. Mm -hmm. Like you're actually learning from me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, like I remember judging this guy who was totally douchey and I recognized <laughs> that I was previously quite douchey. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that's me judging a version of myself that I haven't learned from yet. I haven't mm-hmm. accepted that I was, I had frosted tips and a, what, a puka shell ne- necklace. Um, What's wrong with puka shells? They're really great. But in the (laughs) early 2000s, late 90s, they were really great. I felt like Mark McGrath from every morning there's a, you know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I was totally that for a little bit. And I was emotionally unavailable. And I would say that I was um, emotionally manipulative, not consciously. Um, And so when I would see that behavior in other people, especially men, I would judge it. But it was because I hadn't actually sat with the shame of having been that way yet. Mm -hmm. And when I finally recognized that, again, I think from the gift of a lovely woman telling me, <laughs> that seems to it be a like lot of... you're very receptive to feedback, Mark. This is a... I mean, I would say that's not a 20-year-old Mark skill yeah. set or a 27-year-old <laughs> Mark skill set. That took time to heal the defensiveness of like wanting to protect the shame of my like my core, mm-hmm. you know, being defensiveness, yeah. you know? Oh, you think I'm... Wait, what about you? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so what right now in your work is getting you real fired up? Because you, I love that you get fiery. And before I was saying that, before your divorce, you are you were already filled with such beautiful wisdom, and then that complete sort of breaking down of all the untruths that happened through your divorce, and then watch you just dive more and more into your heart has mm-hmm. been a real gift to be around you. Thanks. I have to say thank you to to you for that. You've always mm-hmm. been so inspiring mm-hmm. that way, and I'm, I feel like we've grown up a lot side by side. We totally have. Yeah, yeah it's been. A long journey and you know 10 years i was in my 20s when we met yeah 30s, so i was in my 30s and now i just now you're broke the edge of the old 4 yeah, yeah. which means now mm-hmm. i have a couple grays coming in Congratulations. and people have to listen to me when i talk exactly. i hear that's what my mom told me so <laughs> i'm just gonna yes that's true so what fires you up now hmm. because i love when you get all ripped and get, <laughs> like we get into some good debate Although we don't usually yeah. debate, but like a well, good we, conversation. You know, yeah. we get on a roll. Uh, yeah. What's firing me up? I mean, we're doing, we're doing a lot with our program called Heal, Heal Your Relationships right now. Mm-hmm. And I've really been enjoying that. Like I've really been enjoying working with people around getting to know their minds. Um, and the self-acceptance work and the inner child work has been amazing. There's so many people who have never even heard of their inner child and haven't done that work. And I've just really loved helping people learn compassion for themselves. Because I think so much of what happens in our lives when we have all these relationship issues stems from being really mean to ourselves, you know, to put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. Like we're not very kind to ourselves sometimes. We're our own worst enemy. We're all, our own worst critic. And we take all of those voices that you know, maybe put us down or harmed us or degraded us in some way when we were young or at some point in our lives. And then we just like made those true. And 
and we just kind of continue the work for whoever that person was, you know, and we uh, carry the torch forward, but it's uh, a blessing to be able to connect with our innocence and our vulnerability and learn to forgive ourselves. And I think that that's ultimately what shadow work and all of it is about, even though we're looking at these really dark, scary things, sometimes we think, gosh, why would I want to look at that? Why would I want to own that? Like (laughs) so much easier to just not and keep drinking or partying or any distraction, even loving, you know? Well, I mean, that's the thing is like when we get people who come to our programs, these are people who are deeply ready, Mm -hmm. like they're done. And when you're sick of your own shit, when you're just bored of it, that is when you're ready for a shift. That's when you're really ready because you're willing to do whatever it takes. You're willing to drop your guard. You're willing to see what you haven't been willing to see. And that's when I get really excited is when there's a lot of willingness. Um, Because something that I struggle with right now is this um, like victim consciousness blame game that we have going on. Oh man. It's so, so intense. I could get on this one too. Let's go. Well, it's just... It's not the level that I want to operate at. Same. I think when we look at the levels of mind, so in our programs, we talk about levels of mind. There's different levels that we have to reach in order to really be self-aware. And this first level is blissful ignorance. Um, and then we become uh, angry victim. Um, an angry victim is uh, this, uh, you know, nothing's going my way, but it's not my fault. It's all outside of me. Yeah. Why does this keep happening to Why me? Why does this keep happening? Yeah. Everybody is awful. And we see so much hate and anger and pain in the world that, it does exist. It does exist for sure. Um, but we can't live in that place and change can't occur from that place. Yeah. It really can't. Um, and so when we get to this third stage, what we call the wall, uh, there's a mirror in the wall, but we can either turn back and go back to blissful ignorance and just kind of numb out, or we can look in the mirror and we can see what is it in me that is contributing to this version of reality that I'm seeing. Yeah. How am I contributing to all of these relationship breakdowns? How am I contributing to this, this pain and this anger that I'm feeling and I'm, I'm experiencing? And when we do that, we have the opportunity to embody radical self-acceptance and forgiveness and then reach something else, which is, you know, self-awareness. You know, they, they say enlightenment, but obviously none of us are really getting enlightened unless we're floating around in the sky. So um, you know, working <laughs> towards that deeper state yeah. of self-awareness, self-realization. And the only way to do that is to do that acceptance work and then to really look in the mirror. And I think um, there's a lot of hunger for that right now, but there's also a lot of lashback around it. Yeah. So there's a lot of wanting to protect everybody from being triggered. So there's all of the, this oh language that we have to avoid. We're not allowed to say anything that could be per- perceived as triggering or, um, you know, somebody the other day said to me, you know, you're not allowed to ask somebody anymore if they want to have kids, right? Because they might be infertile. And I said, okay, well, I think that we could maybe adjust that a little bit. Like if you're not willing to hold space, and be in your heart. If that person has, is having a feeling yeah. then don't ask, but maybe as a culture, what we really need to do is learn how to slow down and feel our feelings. And if I say something that causes somebody to have a freaking feeling, maybe I could just take a breath, look them in the eyes, be in my heart and say, tell me more about that. Yes. Like I feel use it you. as a gateway and to like, the connection you were talking about earlier. Let's connect. Let's yeah. feel our feelings. Like See why are them. we so afraid yeah. of that? It's okay to get triggered. I think because we want to protect people from pain, you know, and, and I get why we have so many drug addictions. Exactly. (laughs) And I, I get the intention is not bad. I don't want other people to hurt. And, and that is, you know, that same level of intolerance that is like, you don't believe what I believe. You don't think the way I think you don't have the same God. You don't have the same political party. Like all of it is so divisive. When at the end of the day, if we could just sit down together and connect on why you feel that way or what, because to me, it's like, no matter what human experience, you're going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. And at some point, like no one, when you came on this planet, no one was like, listen, it's going to be great. You're (laughs) never going to go through a breakup. You're never going to hurt. And, and really that would just be someone bullshitting you on your entrance into earth. Mm -hmm. But at what point did we ever say that you shouldn't have a sad feeling or a bad feeling? Mm-hmm. Like, cause they're not bad. They're just information, but we mm-hmm. code. We're like, oh, you feel sad or depressed. We should probably medicate that. And I want to be able to, I want to be cognizant that there are times of course for interventions. Yeah, of course. But at the same time, I also feel like because we're so afraid of the feelings and what they might stir up in us, we don't want to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And it makes me sad you know, a sadness I can sit with, 
that people are trying to bypass pain and just live in joy. But you can't even really experience it's joy and even, happiness it's without not it. Real joy, though, exactly. Because you know, if you're numb, you're numb. Mm-hmm. And you know, in in our shadow work groups, we do a lot of group therapy. And uh, one of the things that I have said before is that you know, the opposite of love is hate. And if you can't hate, you can't love because mm-hmm. it's it's a form of passion. And if you ask anyone if if there's anyone that they hate, chances are that at one point they deeply, deeply loved that person. Yes, agreed. Right. And so, and that's just an, another example of how, you know, there's polarity to everything. There's dark and light to everything. There's an up and a down. And a, um, and they require each other. They require each yeah. other. Like and you can't just have the good. No, you can't. No. And uh, in order to be able to appreciate, truly appreciate and see the beauty and have gratitude for what we have, I think we do have to be able to feel the spectrum. And I think that that's something that our culture is really slipping away from right now. We're really afraid to feel, uh, we want to mask all of the pain. Um, we're, we, we really want love and light. We really want just to skip the anger and go to forgiveness. We yeah. want to just, bypass, uh, bypass. we want to bypass, bypass. And um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear and there's a lot of hiding because of the fact that we don't feel safe to be fully expressed. Well, I have to say like Ben and I on the podcast talked a bit about this of like, we want to be able to participate in hard conversations, especially Mm -hmm. hard conversations about men Mm -hmm. and women and how men and women interact and how men and men interact and Mm -hmm. how all of it and in how women and women interact. But it's so terrifying to say the wrong thing that it's, Although I want to face that and continue to step into it and and take the bush to the face, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, it's it it would silence so many people because they don't want to say the wrong thing, so they don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, at some level, we have to say like, well, how important is it to you then? Mm-hmm. But there still is a real biological response to facing like a ton of social negative feedback. Sure. That makes you feel rejected and abandoned, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're putting yourself in a public profile. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I think that we are all learning how to do that in a way that is safe for us and for other people. And, you know, my perspective is like, I don't, I don't have one way. I don't think there is one way. And I think if we could just learn to get to know ourselves more, then we would all be in a better position. And like, I just, I don't really want to uh, get too wrapped up in the external drama uh, I'm here to do service work. I want to make a difference. I think working in the realms of domestic violence and all of that is, you know, a big mission. Um, and you know, I've spent time in shelters. I've spent time in transition homes as a kid and as a young woman. And, uh, one thing that was always missing was information that would allow me to know myself so that I didn't find myself back in that same place. And that's always been something that I think has, uh, been missing from the equation when we go through hard things in our culture. We're often taught to find somebody to blame or something to blame um, or to mask it or just to move on and forget about it and, you know, go forward. You're not looking back. Um, but there's a lot that we can learn if we do, if we have the yeah. courage to slow down and go back. And uh, instead of judging people or um, telling them that they're wrong, we could just be curious about them. I don't know. It's just a weird time, I think, for all of us, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of placating going on and there's a lot of, uh, people who are trying to silence certain people's voices, but in the name of freedom, which mm-hmm. is confusing as well. Yeah, because that I'm is like, confusing. So we're, we're becoming over censored in a way. And, you know, sometimes people get really upset about this idea of using the term victim. And so we're always clarifying this isn't about like if something happened to you, for example, when something happened to me, when I was violently assaulted, I was a victim of mm-hmm. that assault, but I'm not carrying victim consciousness. And what that means is that I'm not holding on to this idea that I am a victim, that I am helpless, that I'm broken, that I can't be fixed, that there's something wrong with me. Um, that I'm never going to be able to find some somebody who is good to me, that people are all bad. Mm-hmm. All of these things are ideas of victim consciousness, right? Like it's just not love isn't out there, that kind of thing. So we really have to be able to uh, differentiate the language too. How do you think someone would 
you know, because I, you know, I think what's beautiful about this experience, this conversation even is anyone listening is obviously in a state of searching for information or wanting to hungry to learn more about relationships and communication. And man, I've certainly been a victim, you know, in my past experience, especially having been cheated on, you know, it's like everyone cheats on me. Everyone it's like, uh, I also have zero boundaries, but that's a whole other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as, as soon as someone takes responsibility, I feel like in a way they sort of get hit by the shame train. Totally. Right. Cause all of a sudden they're like, well, if everything in my life happened on some level, because I said yes to it or in some things, just because I was in circumstances that were out of my control, I'm still responsible for what I do with it. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard for me at first because I was like, well, if I'm responsible, then why did I choose to hurt myself? Yeah. Why did I choose to hurt other people? Why did I? And that I had to sit with that shame and talk it through and, mm-hmm. and find people. So how does someone move from this victim space, which they have every right to be in for survival, yeah, for sure, to this empowered? Like, how did you go from that to freaking you with a little fire following you everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it really comes back to those levels of awareness. And I think uh, just to, to clarify too, when we get to that stage, when I say we, we hit the wall, we look in the mirror Mm -hmm. and then we start to get to this place where uh, we are feeling a lot of guilt and shame because, you know, personal responsibility comes with that. It's really heavy at times. That's why we, we do try to avoid it because we, we tend to get into this place of self judgment and our self esteem can really take a hit when we're doing this work. And I noticed that for myself, like really diving deep into shadow work for years. And then I hit a point where I was going really deep and all of a sudden my self esteem really was low. And I was thinking I wasn't such a great person anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me a while to get out of that, but it's a necessary stage because with personal responsibility, we have to do an entire reevaluation of how we see the world and what we're willing to own and what we're willing to take, take forward and that's work. It's not easy. It's not going to come in this like quick swoop where you go to a Tony Robbins conference and you come out <laughs> and everything's great. Like it's not, you're not going to ride a high. In fact, you're probably going to be riding a low for a little bit. Yeah. Puppy is not going to come with the message delivered on its back. No. That would be so nice that would be though. Fantastic. That would be great. Oh, you'd probably want a kitten. I know you like cats. I do. I like, I yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's the aspect that we have to always hold dear is that, um, whatever the word be awakening, deciding to take responsibility for your life, hitting a rock bottom, hitting a wall, Mm -hmm. you know, there are all moments where we get to decide, is this it? Is this the time I get to choose to wake up? Yeah. And man, I have to say the ignorance is bliss stage was really great when I Mm -hmm. could do a shot of tequila and dance on a Mm -hmm. speaker at a bar and (laughs) pretend like everything I was doing wasn't totally impacting me. Mm-hmm. which now there's, I can't consciously do any of the, I could dance on a speaker. No problem. I could yeah. do a shot of tequila, but those just aren't aligned with how I want to treat myself anymore. Yeah, dancing on a speaker is just so 1990s. Is it really? No, I'm kidding. I would love to dance on a speaker. It could be though. I wonder if kids these days <laughs> dance on speakers. I've heard that kids these days, oh, man, I sound so old. I've heard kids these days, like bars aren't doing as well because kids don't go out drinking as much. Yeah. I mean, who wants to go to a bar? I know. And I think like, you know, we often hear the, um, ru- the catastrophizing and ruminating of older generations, which I get it. I'm on my way, but you know, like, what is it? The silent generation, which are people in their seventies, eighties, mm-hmm. and then, um, the baby boomers, but that there's always this, like the next generation is doomed. Yeah. You know? It's always like, that rum, way. Rum, rum, rum. We're just different. We thought the world was going to end with yeah. a fax machine probably, yeah. you know, and then the internet came and now we have smartphones, which are definitely disrupting our brains. <laughs> you know, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But you know, it's a, I actually think people today, especially young people, man, they're faced with so much information mm-hmm. and so much pressure. Mm-hmm. And so like the fact that you have to learn as a kid how to navigate the dopamine addiction of a phone. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? I'm so glad there wasn't Mm -hmm. like Tinder when I was 20. I mean, oh (laughs) my Lord. Yeah. I already tried hard enough just going to bars and going (laughs) to Starbucks, but you know, like I couldn't even imagine. Starbucks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, going back to the piece around like, what do you do when you hit that wall and then you start to take responsibility and then you start to feel all the guilt, uh, that's where I love to bring in the inner child work mm-hmm. and like the self-compassion stuff, self-soothing, learning how to be gentle with ourselves and understand what was behind that coping mechanism or that behavior. Um, 
whether you have explosive anger, whether you abandoned yourself and didn't ever set boundaries. And so you you couldn't say no. And so, you know, bad things happened because of that, whether uh, you hurt people or perpetually cheated, whatever it is, we've all messed up. And I think when we can look at what was behind that, what was, what was I afraid of? What was mm-hmm. I so afraid of in those moments? Was I hurting in some way? What, what pain was I masking? And then really being slow and gentle with ourselves so that we can connect to that part and send it love rather than thinking, well, now that I know that now that I can acknowledge that I did that, no, I think I'm an awful person. I don't deserve love. That's again, just another form of form of victim consciousness. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not a good enough person. I don't deserve it for all the things that I've done. I could never forgive myself. Boo-hoo, right? So we have to step outside of that too. We have to say, okay, well, am I indulging in this? I mean, indulging in this like lower level behavior where I'm just constantly self-loathing, or am I going to learn how to, to love all parts of myself, forgive my past self, and really show up differently. Uh, and so that's really the process of the transformation that occurs. And until we're willing to to be gentle and kind to ourselves, it's not going to shift. So in the context of, okay, I had this behavior, let's say I'm rat- I get really angry, yeah. right? And I get explosive and I push people away. I say mm-hmm. harsh things. Mm-hmm. Um, then I look at, so if, I'm, if someone's going through this process, mm-hmm. right? Then we might ask what feeling, or is that the next one you were going to go? Like when you were talking about going to the to the inner child, mm-hmm. how would we walk this backwards? So, okay. So let's say somebody's really angry. Mm-hmm. Um, we might look at what their experiences were when they were younger. So I'll give you just one example. This isn't yeah. how it looks for everyone, but you know, I've worked with some clients who um, when they're in conflict, they're so terrified of using their voice. They're so terrified being controlled or harmed, um, that the only way they can get the courage to use their voice at all is to become explosive and lose control. Mm -hmm. So even though they look big and scary and they might be ripping down curtains and throwing glasses and screaming at the top of their lungs at their partner, um, what's going on underneath that all is that they're freaking terrified. They're terrified. And so they turn into a little child. And so we have this three-year-old that's taking over, that's tantruming. So we have to learn how to nurture that, that scared little kid inside of us that's so afraid to use our voice that we have to make ourselves, it's like a puffer fish, right? We have to become big in order mm-hmm. to, to have the courage. We'll be heard through that too. So yes. there is a bit of a reward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's one aspect, which is, yeah. you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because you think, well, if somebody's really explosive, then they're just like really mean and violent and they're no, a bully. Yeah. But sometimes they're actually just really scared. Not that that's acceptable. But it's something that we need to look at inside of ourselves so we can shift it, right? Um, so there's there's that. Um, and the challenge comes when we're in these dynamics and we start to understand, let's say somebody else is projecting this anger at us and it's it's dangerous in some way. We can understand where they're coming from without allowing it to continue. When I yeah. say it's not acceptable, what I mean by that is it's, it's okay if you have that going on. It's not okay to harm other people. And so if that's happening in your partnership, for example, you can set a boundary and remove yourself from the environment um, while also understanding where that's coming from. And how does that serve you? Well, you're not making it about you because if you're engaged in a relationship where somebody is acting in a harmful way towards you or even just being you know, unconsciously abusive or emotionally abusive in some way. Um, if it hits a wound for us, we might internalize that and think, oh, see, well, this is exactly, you know, true. I'm, I'm really not good enough. Yeah. Um, and they make, we make it about ourselves. We take other people's behavior and then we identify with it. So yeah. understanding where someone is coming from also helps us free ourselves from the responsibility of carrying their baggage. Um, oh, so it begins to separate who we are from who they are. Yes. And I love that you pointed out that it's so different compassion and tolerance are not the same thing. No, they're not. They live in very different places, mm-hmm. you know, which is good that yeah. they live in different places. Yes, they need to. Yeah. It drives me crazy when people say that, you know, they're just so kind and they just, they're so selfless that, you know, they, they let people mess up over and over uh, and over again. And I think, well, the that's, curse of the empath. That's called self-abandonment. <laughs> it's called and codependency. Let's be real. We're all empathic. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly there are people who have, you know, there's an alteration of their brain and they, they don't feel empathy. We call those sociopaths or narcissists. And those are a lot more rare than we blanket everyone a narcissist. I think we code asshole. everybody with avoidant behavior yeah. as being narcissistic. Yeah. 
which really, if you start to build compassion, you realize that avoidance is just a different expression of insecurity that someone else gets anxious and chases, they get anxious and withdraw. It's inverted anxiety. And of course, the person who chases now has a word for their other person because the person who runs is really villainized now. Totally. It's very interesting. And it just, it honestly just keeps engaging the shame. Mm-hmm. which is interesting because men tend to be more avoidant than women. So mm-hmm. then of course, men are also coded as narcissistic more than women. Um, yeah. We're all kind of narcissists, right? Like what's the story of narcissists who, you know, he, he drowned like looking at himself and admiring his beautiful <laughs> chiseled jaw. Right. He and probably had an accent. We're all, we all have elements of narcissism. Of course. Like I have an Instagram. It's based on me. My, my podcast is my name. Yeah. I mean, what the hell? You have a, your own, you have a, that was a gift. That was a gift you. that I have up for everyone seeing. Our good friend Juno got me that. It says my name and it says great relationships happen by choice. Booyah. Hashtag create the love. Yeah. So it's not that those, you know, those conditions don't exist. And of course, you know, this is never to invalidate somebody's experience. I mean, gosh, it was in a violently abusive relationship. And I think that person definitely had elements of narcissism or psychopathy. Like I was pretty sure because this, something was wrong, you know? So, yeah. So we go from anger just so we can complete this loop. Cause I know I get feedback sometimes like you change subjects all the time. We're all over the place here. Okay. So we go from anger to inner child or to recognizing that they having compassion for it, not tolerance. And then how do we connect to the inner child from that? How do we connect to the inner child? Yeah. Like where do we take anger back? Like if we're starting to look back Mm -hmm. where it comes from, Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, where, where does anger come from? It's an emotion just like every other emotion. Yeah. It doesn't need to, to go away. We don't need to not have anger. We just need to learn how to use it properly. It's so important. It's, it's an alert. It's like, okay, yeah. something isn't right here. Something doesn't feel good for me. I need to ask for my needs to be met. I need to get myself out of this situation. I need to alter my environment in some way. Uh, you know, my boundary has been crossed. Those are all things that we should get angry about. Um, when we lose control over our anger, it's because we've suppressed it so much. Or that we fear it so much. And so again, when we, we work with the inner child, we're, um, you know, one simple way is lay on your bed, put your hands on your tummy and your heart and just visualize little you, like you at four or five years old mm-hmm. and just have a conversation. What are you feeling right now? What are you really feeling? So, you know, anger might be a mask for hurt or vulnerability. You know, this was my coping mechanism when I was really young. Cause I, I was, when I was 12, I was running with street kids who were like 17, 18, they were in and out of jail. You know, we would, go and steal cars and get drunk on the weekends. So uh, not exactly an environment where I could show my hurt or my vulnerability. So if someone was picking on me, my response would be to get angry and to fight, not to cry or show that I'm hurt. You never show that you're hurt, right? So there's a lot of pride. So uh, there's a softening and there's a humbling that has to occur. So you have to be willing to look at um, the ego's mechanisms of pride and defensiveness or um, arrogance, which is just this like way of, um, almost like bragging about ourselves or being like overly confident because underneath it all, we actually are pretty insecure. So when we tap into the inner child, when we ask, what what am I really feeling? We have that conversation. We might learn that we're actually really sensitive. A lot of us are so much more sensitive than we realize. We've denied that. We've denied it. And we don't even give ourselves that space or permission anymore. We're, we're taught that we're supposed to be strong and just be tough. And um, and so we don't let ourselves feel. So it's really all this is, is a process of learning how to feel our feelings and not make them wrong. So the inner child really being like, because I think what you're saying, we can start to get embodied mm-hmm. and really feel our feelings in our body when we go back to the part of us where we started to lose our connection to our feelings as a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. And what a beautiful journey that is. How long does it usually take someone if they're really intentional, Mm -hmm. you know, about it? There's no timeline because everybody is different and such a personal process. So Mm -hmm. that's the thing is like, we're often looking for formulas or we're looking for like a three-step process. So like hack, yeah. Tell me exactly how can I biohack my feelings. How can I feel my feelings? Yeah. Like, give me a, a three-step process. Give me a pill. Or... Do you have a brain pill or a feeling? <laughs> well, we have one that makes you not feel. Yeah. How long is this going to take exactly? And we also have, <laughs> you know, drugs that make you feel. So of course, yeah. right? Like uh, MDMA mm-hmm. that makes you feel this incredible level of elation. Mm-hmm. And of course, and they're doing therapies with that now. Yeah. Yeah. And microdosing that. that kind of stuff too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. When and psilocybin and all the stuff that's going on in the research and that is yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. 
So when if someone wants to go and do this kind of work with mm-hmm. uh, yourself and the lovely Heather, mm-hmm. um, where would they find you? Um, well, we're on Instagram. I don't know if you've heard of it. This the old Instagram. <laughs> I'm too old for Instagram. Back you're, in my day, like an, can I fax you? You're an Instagram superstar. Oh, my goodness. Somebody called me the other day and asked me if they could fax me. What? And I said, are you kidding me right now? Like, why don't you Who take are a you talking to? And she was like, I know. As soon as I said that, I, I thought, <laughs> why am I saying that? You'll probably experience shame if you have a fax machine right now. Yeah. Or sorry, sit with it and <laughs> then okay buy something. It's okay to feel new. your shame around yeah. your fax machine. <laughs> yeah, it is. Someone did ask me to fax something too. And I was like, can I just take a picture and send it to you? Like, can I email <laughs> have it? Have you heard of, yeah. uh, what is it, Scan Genius or something? Genius I mean, scan? all of these things that you can use. So, okay. So uh, where do they find you on Instagram? Look at us. We're so yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So rising woman. So at rising woman is our handle and we try to post all the time. Uh, and then on risingwoman.com is our website. And if you click on programs, there's heal your relationships. That's the name of our program. So and is that for men and women? It's for women. Uh, men can take our program too, but the private group is a support group Fair for enough. women. Yeah. So um, what we're doing actually is if you are a man and you want to take our program, you can take our program and then you can also register to do one-on-one work with Ben. Which is great. Ben is fantastic. For yeah. anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, it's so good. Yeah, he's amazing. I love I love who he is and the way he works with people and the way he works with men. It's just, yeah. Oh, he's a little magician too. Yeah. I can't put him in my pocket, but it's close. Yeah, he's a heart. Uh, He's such Mm -hmm. a good guy. And you guys together are creating such beautiful work. Thank you. And to watch you guys just Mm -hmm. continue to grow and expand as a couple. Yeah. Like, pretty damn amazing. Well, so are you and Kylie. Thank you. Yeah. It's really nice to watch. And to watch you guys drive your little, you had that little scooter for a bit. Like, <laughs> so cute. That scooter got stolen. I know. I yeah, heard that. But he's getting a new one. So don't worry. Geek town. Don't back. worry. He'll be talking about his damn scooter <laughs> all the time again. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for being on today. Yeah. And please, everyone, if you have not checked her out, you have got to go to her Instagram and go see her. And she just does beautiful work. She mm-hmm. spoke as, um, she was one of the speakers at my last Masters of the Universe Summit. Um, and just continue to do, I mean, I don't have to tell you that, but I'm like, keep doing what you're doing. And you're like, yeah, I was going to, thanks for the fucking tip over there. Um, and so I think we'll definitely continue this conversation again because yeah. there's so much to be said. Yeah. So thank you so much for thank being you. here today. Yeah, thanks. What did I tell you? This was going to be an awesome episode, right? And it was. And if you are a fan of both either and or this episode and the podcast, please give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to this podcast. And a written review is so helpful if you can do that too. I know that little extra effort goes a super long way. And I'm so grateful for you for listening and tuning in. Can't wait till next week. Chat soon.